you are listening to the In Context podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. It's me and Graham again. And uh, this week we were both at a conference on abuse. I was speaking alongside John Stevens and Mes McConnell and Graham attended it. It was a conference that had been planned uh, about two years ago after the release of Mez's book, The Creaking on the Stairs, which is a, a horrendous but hope-filled book about child abuse and how the gospel can uh, bring healing to both the abused and the abuser. It was a difficult subject. It was a heavy couple of days. Uh, John Stevens was talking about abuse in the church, uh, abuse of power, and uh, I was speaking about the church and the abuser, how can we disciple and uh, best care for those who come to faith who have been abused and how can we uh, minimise uh, the impact that it has on a church and maybe it's those who are in your church who've been abused and then Mez McConnell was sharing his story uh, of abuse, uh, the pain and suffering that he went through but also how uh, the doctrine of penal uh, substitutionary atonement has been a healing to him as well which what <laughs> it, 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 well, it was a tough one I think I think that was probably the heaviest uh, again hearing somebody who we love as a friend and brother uh, sharing about his past abuse but also encouraging hearing how uh, the beautiful gospel uh, can bring healing to somebody who has been and suffered some of the, the most horrific abuse. It was a, yes, we, we like to laugh and joke, don't we, on this podcast? And even with Mays, when we get together, usually we're laughing our heads off. And we did, before we did the conference, we were met laughing and joking. We did a podcast, didn't we? And it was a good laugh. But then, like, afterwards, it was like, yeah, let's get off now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Graham, that, that, that was pretty much what the conference was about. You were there as an attender. Uh, just bring up some of the things... First of all, what did it feel like being there? Some of the emotions it brought up and how helpful, if at all, was it? <laughs> if at all, yeah, you're such some rubbish. No. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's always hard, something like that. I said to one of the people who came with me uh, from our church, you know, afterwards, did you enjoy it? She was like, it's not something you enjoy. Really, that is it. And I think that was the thing, wasn't it, that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be hard thinking that through because ultimately you're dealing with with real pain and and I, you know god's given us authority as a good thing and and we're talking about when people abuse that authority and use it to to oppress and minimize and um, take advantage of people and so it's always it's always going to be a, a tough topic but i think that's why it's important that, that there is things like that because so often we try to avoid the tough topics, don't we? Um, and I think it's really important that we, 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 we talk it through. So I think one of the things that was great for me, uh, Mezzo's session was really helpful for me and, and for guys at our church, actually. Um, we'll talk about that later, maybe. But just those, that, that importance of the fact that the cross means that justice has been done and justice will be done. And I think that's something that gets missed a lot but I don't know if it's particularly about middle-class folks, but maybe folks who haven't suffered or whatever, um, that justice is really important. Mm. And, you know, abuse victims want justice. Um, that, you know, whether we'll get justice in the courts or, you know, whatever, justice has been done that, that, 
people will either pay for their abuse in hell or or Jesus has already paid for it if they're trusting in him. And I think that that linked in well with your session, you know, the, the fact that we a lot of us particularly don't don't like the idea that there's there's grace and gospel for the abuser. You know, you talked about being in visiting jail and visiting that, you know, sex offender and stuff. And you know, when you think about what he's done, don't really want there to be um don't want there to be justice. And, and that that cuts to our hearts, doesn't it? That, you know, we we've treated God in the same way that they have, maybe not in exactly the same outcomes. Um, and so that that was helpful as well, just that reminder that, you know, the vilest offender who truly believes really does receive a pardon from Jesus. So I think those were the real highlights for me. Um, just that pointing, pointing us back to the, the cross and, and the need for seeing the reality of the gospel afresh. Um, because we talk about the gospel a lot, but so often we don't really believe it. We kind of think about it. But when it comes to those, I guess, primal fears or kind of um, uh, like feelings of, of vengeance or, or justice or whatever, we kind of forget all our nicey-nicey civilization. We just want to punch people in the face and tear their eyes out. Yeah. And, I, and it's important to remember that, isn't it? It's important to remember that the Lord says vengeance is mine. And ultimately for us, he's, he's taking it out on Jesus on the cross. Yeah, and that, that realisation that like Jonah who wanted the Ninevites to suffer mm. the wrath of God rather than the forgiveness and, and love of God isn't as all Jonah wasn't I don't know why we're surprised that Jonah when we read it we think what a disobedient man and why but the Ninevites were responsible for abusing and terrorizing and tormenting these people for decades yeah it's a bit like I don't know some uh, say in Afghanistan like <laughs> the, the Taliban someone from the Taliban being told to go and like uh, preach the gospel to America and uh <laughs> I mean, it's like suddenly, what? Well, I, I want them to die. It's again, it's like the IRA versus uh, the, the uh, unionists and, and, and yeah. uh, uh, the loyalists and things like that. It's when, when there's deep pain and uh, we have to share the gospel with someone, it's hard work. We don't want it. We, we, we love the wrath and mercy. Uh, sorry, we love the mercy and grace of God when when we are forgiven for our sins, when that the, the sin of us hurting others and hurting God has been washed away. That's amazing. It's a beautiful gospel. But when we hear those that have offended us or people we love can face that same grace and mercy, it, it's, it's hard to swallow. I think it's, it's a, an interesting part. I can't remember if this came up um, on uh, the, uh, the conference, but um, certainly talked about it before whether on here or I think we talked about, didn't we, we did a podcast on the 20 schemes one, didn't we, about, about abuse and stuff. And, and should, should, um, should an abused person forgive their abuser? Um, and, uh, you know, we've experienced in our church people recovering from abuse and stuff. Um, and sometimes you, other people find it really hard to understand. They just think it's disobedience that they can't just forgive them. You know, particularly in, in one specific case, there was, I won't go into details, but there, there, there was just no repentance. And, and this person was, the abuser was still in their position and carrying on 
position of power carrying on and stuff. Um, and 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 people are like, well, it's just it's just unbelief that you know, and, uh, you know, not being able to see the Lord's providence that that they were they, they can't let it go. And I was just like, do you understand the deep hurt and pain and the, and the trauma that this person's been through? And I think I think often we can have a doctrine of 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 kind of forgiveness is it's almost the opposite of what you were saying. You know that that thing that we like mercy of God when it's for, for for us but not for other people and it's almost the opposite you know we want to keep that ability to 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 bear grudges and have and and, and judge other people and and have vengeance but when it's other people who who've been abused we, we 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 think they should just get over themselves and forgive and I think that's that's vital for how we think about you know lots of the ways we we help people who've been abused in all sorts of different ways um we we need to give people time we have we have compassion for those who struggle with sexual sin and pornography and and have grace for them or for the drug addict or for the alcoholic and we talk about sanctification being a, a slow process yes for those who've been abused we expect them just to dismiss that and just yeah for that torment you put me through for years i'll i'll forgive and instead of being our first priority as brothers and sisters in christ to point to jesus's healing for them uh to, to, to the fact that Jesus is a God of justice who will come like a warrior in the final days and those who haven't repented were going to get smashed, brutally smashed, that we, we need to point to the realisation that Jesus loves them, that Jesus will heal them, that Jesus will wipe away every tear and he will have justice. But no, we, we forget that bit and tell them you must forgive because you have a lack of faith. Yet yeah. show compassion and mercy to other addictions or disobedience or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had people tell me, oh, they should forgive. And uh, and then in the, not quite the same sentence, but, you know, not not long afterwards, uh, explain about the grudge they've still got about somebody in an old church from 10 years ago. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, I just think it's something I think that's been under the radar in so many people's lives because it's kind of one of those things that if it, even in working class communities, often if it happens, it's kind of swept under the carpet a little bit sometimes you know because people are embarrassed or they just deal with it in the family you know they get some they get some family justice or whatever um and and actually if there's to be healing and and and, and change and growth and being able to cope with the trauma and stuff a lot of these things need bringing out into the open not out into the open of hey we're going to tell everybody about them but people need the opportunity to talk and to to feel safe and and to learn to trust again i know somebody who's abused horrifically as a child and just finds it almost impossible to trust anybody you know it takes ages for this person to to trust anybody and um, particularly men was abused by a man um and, and so you know uh, finds integration into church life really hard because it takes so long yeah yeah it, it's tough isn't it and again we have to be so aware of the abused in our church, those who are suffering and, and how we can pastorally care for them well without, uh, yeah, without heavy shepherding them, without uh, missing the point of what they need, which, which isn't to be perfect, but is to be healed and loved. Uh, then we've, we've got the, the conundrum of what do we do if somebody who is an abuser rocks up our church, how we're supposed to deal with that? How do we protect 
the church from possible abuse. How do we tell if he's a wolf in sheep's clothing who's just coming here to, to, to try and abuse somebody else? Uh, and if he's a genuine convert, how do we love and disciple them mm. uh, and protect them from temptation and protect them from reprisals from a community who probably don't want him around? And how do we protect the gospel if we're seen as a church that pedos are welcoming? And yeah, then, well, I mean, and, and, and how much do you tell the church, right? Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I know of situations where, and I think it was right for this this church not not to tell the members in this specific situation, but, you know, Google's a terrible thing. And and then when people find out, it, it, it can cause can cause chaos. Um, and, and so that's a really really hard one. I mean, that's where the the appendices at, at the back of Mrs. book uh, are really helpful. You know, he's got pastors and abusers who've been saved and abuse victims and all sorts of talking. Uh, and he, he's allowing those voices to be heard so that we don't just base it on assumptions of of what we think. I think, you know, that it's almost one of those things, isn't it, where you've got to make a decision based on every single case. You can't you can't say, right, here's one rule. Uh, you gotta you gotta think that through because you know, if every context will be different. Like you say, in some communities everybody's all forgiving and nice and others in other communities, you know, they're gonna get their house firebombed. Um, you know, um, and so we've we've got to think think that through. Um, I was going to say, we haven't talked much about John's session, have we? But hey, what there's been obviously been a lot of talk about spiritual abuse in the last, I don't know, two years, 18 months. Obviously, it's like being really intensified now again with this Marzil podcast out and other stuff happening. How do we, how do we as churches, as pastors, find that line between helping people, looking after people, um, pointing out people's sin and going over the top and being heavy shepherders or abusers or, or whatever. Because, you know, lots of the things that, that I've read um, it, uh, about some of these things that have been accused over the last two years, five years, whatever, some of them, I think, in the right context, that could just be good pastoral counsel. But it, it, it could also be proper abuse. And so it seems like there is a big shade of grey here. And how, how do we deal with that, do you think? Yeah, I think inexperience is one. If I reflect on my early years as a, as a pastor, uh, I cringe at the ways I dealt with various things. Uh, inexperience, but then also motivation. So, again, in the early days, when you're desperate to grow a church, when you you don't want to be excommunicating people. So, so you're petrified they're going to be falling into public sin. And especially if, you, if you've had to remove people from membership, again, reminding yourself that excommunication is, is a sign of love, not punishment. So like, what are your motivations behind doing that? So it's really tough, especially if, you're, if you haven't got a plurality of elders and you're in even more trouble, aren't you? So I think the practice of church discipline uh, if you're an only elder, is is just riddled with it's a minefield. It's horrendous. It's an awful place to be because you have a care for the flock. You you love them, but you also have idolatry in your heart. Want to grow a church, and it's like a, it's tiring. If you're the only elder, was I too tough there? Should I have uh, should I have dealt with that, or have I not dealt with that? Because 
I don't want to lose them. Do you just sit and uh, ignore every sin that public sin that's going on in the church because you don't want to upset anyone and frighten the leave and go to another church? Are you that frightened of, of people showing you up as a pastor <laughs> that you're dominating and controlling them? So I think there's areas of inexperience, uh, fears and idolatry, but then you've got deliberate manipulation yeah. where you're setting out to, to develop a culture where you are the powerful one who dominates and abuses. And that is, I think, a, a complete... I think all of them are wrong, but I, I think there's forgiveness and help for inexperience and, and and just being a crap pastor. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good job, mate, isn't it? We're all going to need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we all make mistakes, don't we? And we'll all look back to our first years and, and we'll con- every five years you'll look back and be embarrassed at how you've mishandled the situation. But you're deliberately setting out to manipulate people for your own gain, for your own pleasure and benefit. And that is something completely different and, and is it just needs just needs wheedling out of the church because it's just happening more and more. And again, this comes back. I'm sure it comes back to how we train people for pastoral ministry. We, we were discussing earlier about uh, the academic prize. And, and that's about yeah. if somebody is academically brilliant, got a, is, is a reverend, is a doctor, has a master's, we'll get them. He's, he's brilliant, but we don't look at his character. I've constantly said we look at the qualifications who they've trained under and where they've studied. But how often do we look at the home life? Do we look to see if he's hospitable? Is he patient with his children and his wife? Because if he's impatient with his wife and kids, he's going to be who he's supposed to love the most. How much more will he be impatient with uh, his church? I think that's interesting, actually. A couple of things there. I mean, just on that last point, I've always found it fascinating. You have a guy to, you know, you have a guy in an established church, you're going to appoint him as a pastor or whatever. And and like you meet him for, you have him up a couple of weekends, and you think you're going to see enough. Uh, and basically, you've got him preaching and up the front all the time, so you never actually see him interacting with his family. Yeah. And obviously, you can take references and all those kind of things. But you know, we it's something I've always said that hopefully when we um, we do get to repent, uh, appoint people and stuff, we want 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 them to come up for a week or two weeks or whatever and, and spend time with us and that and, and and get to know people but the other thing i i think out of all that what you just said was i think it just shows again like you were talking about plurality of elders before it shows again the need even if you've not got a plurality of elders to have people around you who will tell you to stop being a muppet um because that i mean i've not listened to all of that mars hill thing because it just got depressing after a while um and yeah um you just find yourself thinking, well, Matt Driscoll were a prat, so it's not, it's not what to do with me. And, and that's not the lesson you should be taking it from. So I, I stopped listening to it. But one of the things that, that came out of that was the one anybody who could stand up and say, stop, you know. And I think sometimes even you can get into that manipulation without meaning to, but you cross one boundary, you maybe even don't know you've crossed it, and it's easier to cross another boundary. It's easier to cross another boundary. It's easier to cross another boundary. But if you've got guys around you who are the first boundary you cross it, hang on, you've crossed the line there, stop. And I think that's vital. If we're to avoid spiritual abuse or any abuse, we, we need people in our lives who are saying, stop crossing that line, come back. Um, but otherwise, you know, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. I'm not... 
I'm not manipulating people. I'm just helping them be the best servant. You know, I'm helping them follow Jesus. You can tell yourself that. You can convince yourself of anything if you want to, okay? We need to be regularly preaching about spiritual abuse and the abuse of authority and, and, mm -hmm. and Lincoln, like John Stevens gave a good example about Potiphar's wife uh, 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 abusing her power over uh, Joseph. And we need to be preaching that story and saying this is this is an abuse of power. This is yeah. this, this is abuse. And, and, and we've discussed in the past where if you're in a church that have people who love you as a pastor, like they'll excuse if I have a bad sermon every now and again, if I if I if I have not prepared well or something, they'll excuse that because they love me and, and they know my heart. But what you don't want them excusing is your abusive behaviour, and that's a danger. If, if you've done something to help people, who if you've practically helped people, they'll be loyal yeah. and love you, and then you can soon take advantage of that love and abuse it. But if we are preaching to our members and say, look, be aware of this is abusive behaviour, then they see it in us. They need to be challenging us or going to somebody who can challenges for them yeah not, definitely. just having a conference once every five years won't help we did this on the back of mezzi's book and it it's been delayed because of covid and it's not down to uh local churches to go around the country preaching about this to other local churches it's up to the local church to be doing this regularly to be equipping their members to stand up to recognize a what is abuse but b how do we deal with it when we encounter it in our churches yeah, I think it's. I, I think it's something we can be tempted into. Not not necessarily the extremes, but maybe like you were saying, some of the things, whether it's inexperience or just you are trying your best and you just get it wrong. Um, because um, it comes down to again, like our Christian culture in the UK has been so Americanized that you know in America, I remember reading was it Piper's son wrote a book about being the pastor's kid. And I read that and I was like, hang on, in uh, in that context, like the pastor's like, he's like, it's like the first family in America, you know, they're the president and, and everybody looks up to him and they all respect him. And, you know, oh, that's the pressure that comes on the kids because they're supposed to be perfect because dad's like that. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know, certainly my experience of church is where we're a bit, church members tend to be a bit more anti-authority than, uh, than perhaps they are in the, in those contexts. And I think we can we can go, well, I've not got it like them in the States. You know, I'm not abusing it because nobody ever does what I tell tell them anyway. You know, I, I ask people to do it. And they're like, oh, no, I'll do the opposite. And so we can resort to kind of ungodly ways or whatever of trying to, maybe even good good reasons, getting people to, to, to along to even church meetings or whatever. Um, and we resort to ways of doing that because we're convinced that otherwise they won't do it because we don't believe the gospel is powerful and we just believe everybody hates us. And so we've got to find ways of manipul manipulating, manipulating them into it. I think that's a real danger we've got to be on the lookout for. And again, and again uh, just getting back to the family and the pastor, and I've been to so many churches and I know I'm, I'm not going to say where, but I was at a church not long ago and they were encouraging the pastor to neglect his family at the expense of the church and meetings and things like that, even during the church service. And uh, often many people will employ a pastor and how often are you going to be at this meeting? And, and the timetable 
is just so hectic that all he can do is neglect his family. So if he's, if we're going to employ people who uh, put their ministry above their family, then why are we so surprised if they then put their ministry above the care and of the church? So again, what we are seeking as, as members and, and uh, who are appointing uh, pastors, we, we, we will reap what we sow if we don't first care for our pastors. Because if we are going to uh, have an abusive environment for our pastor to come into, then we can't be shocked if he becomes abusive in his role himself. And again, the, there is that abuse of the pastor, isn't the churches who see the pastor and his wife and the family as a commodity uh, and a tool to be used by them rather than uh, a pastor uh, who's a brother and a family that needed, they need to be loving and welcoming and pastoring themselves. Yeah, and interestingly, not, not to contradict everything I just said a minute ago, but I think, I think it is interesting. I was saying this to our church the other week. Not that I, I think this it's not, it's not abuse, but it's maybe neglect in that we've got such a, a hierarchical system of discipling so it's like the pastor disciples people you know the elders disciple people or the elders teach the disciple. and so the number of times i've sat with people um in a discipling situation or just having a pint or a meal or whatever and um i you know we'll, we'll maybe be having a chat and i say i'm saying how are you doing spiritually and whatever and people very ever rarely ever say well how are you doing what are you reading in your bible what what you know how is your relationship with your wife and kids and stuff because you know all right there's stuff that i maybe won't share with everybody and and i've got people i can talk to for that but unless church members know how pastors are doing then how are they supposed to keep them accountable and so i think there is a real kind of um uh, it's incumbent on church members to, to know how their pastor's doing and, and to be able to ask him those questions. Um, not because they're checking up, but just because they love him and care for him. And we've got to get past this kind of thing that the pastor leads everything um, because that does just breed, like you say, manipulation. If, if, if we've got a one-man ministry, are we surprised that he, he thinks he's Jesus and only he can do what, you know, we, we need to be all working together and we need members to be looking after and, and, and pastoring one another in the pastors and the elders and their families as well. Otherwise we will end up with despots and tyrants. Yeah. Fortunately I'm kept in my place by my wife and kids <laughs> as well as the church. So <laughs> I just cry all the time. And... <laughs> Take but... the dog for a walk to get out of the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it is, it, it, it was a, it was a, it's a subject that we need to be talking about locally, don't we, uh, within our local congregations and churches, giving people the freedom to, to share and uh, for them to know the protocol, what is the safeguarding of that yeah. church? A lot of people coming from our context, coming to church, wouldn't have a clue about safeguarding, wouldn't know where to go if they had a problem. They, they maybe it's come to me or my wife, but they don't know there's a process. What if it is me and my wife who are the problem? Where do they go then? So you need to have it. A lot of churches will have these safeguarding posters up, but a lot of people from our communities won't have a clue what it means. Yeah. That means so again, it, it, it's having that explained and, and and just having a culture of openness and and uh, yeah, awareness of, of, of what's going on. But uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it's it's a subject I don't want to bang on about too much. 
Uh, it's not the most uplifting, but it is very important. And we'll have some links to Mezzi's book, Creaking on the yeah. Stairs, and to the recent uh, Gospel and Abuse uh, conference, so you can watch those talks there, which are uh, quite helpful. Uh, but, yeah, for me, Graham, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a heavy a heavy subject isn't Brutal, it? Isn't it yeah it's and you know we've we've there's we, we can probably all tell stories as pastors you know of 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 people we've pastored and counseled and stuff who just broken by abuse um and you know maybe where they first they told or or they they've they, they, they first they've really opened up to because there's just so much shame about it and you're right we need that culture of openness and we need that culture of gospel-hearted generosity in, in saying right well we'll we'll, go, we'll run to jesus but we know this isn't going to get solved overnight you're not a project to be solved mm. this is this is a precious child of god and so we need to love and serve people and and, and come alongside them. And it, and it's brutal. It is really brutal. Um, but it's the work of the gospel. And so... Well, again, yeah. I think what we fail to do is, and I, and I don't know how we do this, and, and just before we finish, I don't know why I'm bringing it up, because it's... <laughs> but, but we need to be the type of church that when we preach the gospel, that if an abuser, whether... We, we all, when we say abuse, we think of sexual predators, but... Yeah. It's a pastor or an elder who is abusing his power or somebody hitting his wife or wife hitting her husband or the children or whatever, whatever form of abuse. When we preach in our churches, we need to preach so that they understand the gospel, that they are cut with 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 conviction for their sin, yet also yeah. hope that knowing through repentance that they will be restored with Christ and uh, will be forgiven they might have justice to face on earth but they need to be able to come to us and say because we don't want abusers sat scared in our congregations we want the abuse to come to light so it can be dealt with legally and spiritually mm -hmm. and uh, i think the more we preach the gospel uh, on god's holiness and god's uh, forgiveness I, I, I hope and i pray that this abuse that is in our churches will be brought into the light that people will voluntarily repent and be dealt with yeah. Uh, legally and spiritually yeah no bang on that man we need to preach the glory of the, the glory of the gospel right because to to admit to, especially if you are an abuser to admit to it you know it probably means you're going to go inside it probably means we all know what happens to abusers inside you know you've got they've got a lot 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 to lose um but we need to preach the reality of hell so much that hell is worse than all of that and and the glory of the new creation with jesus is, is far far better than that um we need to preach that every day and i think what we'll do is we'll put a link in as well uh, if anybody has, uh, has suffered any form of abuse and uh, needs any support we'll put a long link in there so that they will be able to uh, get get support from that as well top so, well do you think it's a good place to end bro that sounds like a good place to end Awesome. All right, then, mate. Well, thanks for joining us again on the In Context podcast.